0: Hi everyone. Welcome to our Power Chat with Souls for Souls. I'm so excited to be here today to talk about some of the sustainability development goals, especially around poverty alleviation, gender equality, and the planet. Today on our Power Chat, I have the pleasure of chatting with President and CEO of Souls for Souls, Buddy Teaster. Welcome, Buddy.
1: Yeah, great. Look forward to talking with you, Nancy.
0: Buddy, so good to see you. Thank you for being a Power part of this power chat. Um, Will you introduce yourself to our audience?
1: Sure. I am the president and CEO of Souls for Souls. I've been there almost nine years. Uh, I love what I do more than anything else in the world. I have a mix of not-for-profit and for-profit experience, which in the Souls for Souls model is really kind of a great combination. There's a part of what we do that is very business oriented, very focused on how do we use business for good. And the other part of what we do is much more sort of the mission part, even though they're obviously connected. And I think getting to do those two things every day and see the impact and the results, especially as it helps reduce and eliminate poverty around the world, is a big deal. And that's part of why I love what I do.
0: It's amazing. And you have been a part of the Souls for Souls organization now for over nine years or almost nine years. Tell us a little bit about Souls for Souls, how it started and what is going on with it currently.
1: So officially, Souls for Souls started in 2006, although the story really begins a little bit before that. The the people who went on to found the organization first just were sort of moved to respond to the tsunami in 2004 that hit Southeast Asia so hard. And people from the for industry and other folks who had just been sort of interested in responding to these kinds of disasters figured out how to get shoes to many countries, Indonesia and others. Then only a few months later, Hurricane Katrina hit in the US and that single people said we should respond here at home as well. And then after that, they felt like there's an idea here that's more than just let's respond to one disaster. How can we be more engaged? So then they officially started Souls for Souls in 2006. And out of that disaster relief beginning, there was a continued effort on how do we how does your organization provide relief to those in need by providing new shoes? then that evolved to people who said look we have used shoes as well can we donate those and souls for souls said sure and then we can talk more about that micro enterprise which we call microenterprise, of how we sell shoes to people in the developing world as a way to create opportunity but and there's still this very important part of what we do of providing relief in the short term and that has continued and it's also expanded to include apparel so that journey from episodic disaster relief to let's be engaged in this full time to how do we use the full range of the products that people are willing to donate to souls for souls to create opportunity in the short term and the long term
0: this you know the the idea of creating job opportunities really is obviously the critical part of poverty alleviation, right? Is how do we get people to stand up on their feet? If you would share a little bit more about Souls for Souls and its work specifically in the micro program, how that looks and, and some of the countries that you're operating in.
1: Sure, so the idea is really simple. I mean, there's in a way, not very it's not very interesting to just say we sell shoes to people in the developing world because that business existed for a long time. And what we've found is by making some tweaks to that decades old model, we can have real impact on the people sort of at the bottom of the pyramid. I know that's kind of a cliche, but a lot of the people that we work with are in that definition of extreme poverty of living on less than $2 a day. And by just changing the supply chain, really, I mean, as simple as that might sound, we took out the middlemen so that now when someone donates their used shoes, for example, it comes right from your closet, Nancy, to, let's say, a woman entrepreneur in Haiti. And what happened before is you might donate those shoes to a thrift store. They might get sold there. If not, then they would go someplace else, someplace else. And by the time it got to her in Haiti, let's say, there might be four or five pieces of the chain where somebody will come in and take out the best product, sell on the what's left and raise the price. So by the time it got to her, it was sort of the worst product at the highest price, which is a terrible business model. Hmm. And it meant that she couldn't make much money. She didn't have interesting product and she had a high price. So let's say in Haiti, these numbers are rough, but that was about, her cost was $8 and the market price was 10. So she only had that $2 margin. We work with a local partner in Haiti and Honduras and Eastern Europe and Moldova, and we're expanding into other places in Central America. Hopefully soon the Philippines and uh, Ghana, things go well. The model seems pretty consistent. We find a local not-for-profit partner who's doing other things in that community. So in Haiti, it was a school. They were teaching English as a second language to adults. They had a microcredit program. And we said, well, what if we partnered? Let's make it so that you can make some money for your project. So with SAM and the Haitian American Caucus in Haiti, for example, it was to grow their school. And let's pass those savings on to the woman so that in the marketplace she captures most of that final sales price. And he said, okay, let's do that. And so what happened was now it goes right from your closet to her. So she's got great product. And instead of paying $8 a pair, she might be paying $4 a pair. So that tripled her income. And when we, no matter what income level you're at, if you triple your income that can move the needle. And so what we saw very quickly is that women who were, already used to working harder than most of us can imagine, right? Every day, all day to put food on the table. And even that was really tenuous to a model that worked time after time. And because it was a business model, it wasn't based on just charity. She could count on the supply. She was an equal at the table. She could talk about, Hey, the price is too high. I need better quality. So she was an equal instead of just a recipient. And that's a big deal. That matters a lot. And suddenly she had a lot more to invest in her family. So housing, shelter, education, food, all those things could come about much quicker. And we see that, that wasn't unique to Haiti. We see that time after time.
0: I love that. It's such a phenomenal model because it's really the full circle. So not just you and I out of our own closet, so many community members engage, right, whether civic organizations, faith-based organizations, corporate organizations. Tell us a little bit about some of the organizations that are really supportive of the used footwear and apparel, if you will, and where where does the supply come from?
1: Yeah, it's, it's a beautiful story in a way. I mean, I know one of the SDGs is around the planet, and so what and we'll come back to the poverty alleviation part because that really is a major outcome. But a lot of this stuff, Nancy, in the past would have gone into landfills. People are like, well, those don't fit or it's the wrong color. And instead of it going into the trash, we put it back in the supply chain where there's a lot more use. You know, Ultimately, maybe some or most of that product is going to be worn out and not usable. But you might have years between those things. So I want to say first that there's a big sustainability component to this yeah. model as well. But it comes from us. So it might be an individual uh, and you could mail your shoes in we have a partnership with zappos for example they'll pay for the shipping so it could be one pair it could be an a girl scout in her community says i'm going to do a shoe drive and she collects twenty-five thousand pairs by reaching out to her friends and school etc so that happens a lot we have corporate partners who are incredible about making their footprint available to us For, for example we have this partnership with dsw where their customers can come in and donate their used shoes and they get points in the loyalty program. And in the last four years, their customers have donated almost 5 million pairs of shoes. So think about that. Incredible. Would have been in the trash for most of the part. And now it is helping power opportunity for women, especially women and families all around the world. And we also have our corporate partners. And that, a lot of that is new products. So it's maybe excess inventory or returns. Again, stuff that often is a big hassle for them. Uh, samples is another great example of, a problem that we can turn into opportunity by working together with corporate partners and we look at every part of that of what's the opportunity that we can create and how does how do, are we a good partner in the process
0: you know i think what's so incredible is the partnerships are all over but it's really amazing this is actually a global initiative so it's not just coming out of the united states you operate and work in 159 countries, right? So, all over the world, it's pretty amazing. And of course, the United States. Um, tell us a little bit, if you can, your, your favorite story. Um, you know, we're always talking about sustainability, not just from the lens of facts and statistics, but humanizing it, right? And, and Souls for Souls yeah. is the epitome of humanity and how we're helping. So share with us a story um, about the entrepreneurs and maybe if there's generations of entrepreneurs or what's what's happening on the entrepreneurial side.
1: Yeah, there are there are a lot of great stories. That could be a whole a whole conversation in itself. But I think one of my favorites is still one of the first. So when we started working in Haiti and our microenterprise program was 2013 and at that first meeting with our partner, the Haitian-American Caucus, there was a woman there named Marie ange and she was super skeptical. You know, the, the Haitian uh, business culture is tough. It's very competitive. And she was skeptical and she'd already she was at the edge. right? I mean, she was barely hanging on. She had a daughter who was uh, 16 and pregnant. They were about to be evicted from like a hovel, essentially, that she couldn't afford the rent on. And when she heard about this opportunity, once she got over the skepticism and saw the shoes, she said, I want in. So she borrowed some money through the microcredit program from HAC. She kept her day job. She was a cook at the school. So she kept her day job. She got her daughter up early to get her set up in the marketplace. Rianj would come and cook. She would go back to the marketplace at the end of the day. She sold the first box, bought another box. She did that. And in 18 months, she went from... I don't know where I'm going to maybe live next week to she bought property. So it was in her name. She owned it, which is rare enough in Haiti for a woman to own property. But she did it in a really short amount of time. And then six months after that, she had a house that she owned. And it was her husband, her daughter, and soon it was her daughter's kids. So three generations benefited from the shoe program. And then the other thing that's fantastic, rather than say, you know, this is mine, everybody else keep out. She invited other women in she said, there's plenty to go around here. This model works. So she sort of like paid it forward again, sort of a cliche, but Marie-Ange brought other women in who worked just as hard, who wanted that opportunity. And by partnering with HAC, they can have similar results. And we saw multiple examples of women being able to go from this really unsteady life to owning a house, owning a property and having a lot more stability. And We've seen that happen in Honduras. We've seen that happen a little differently in Eastern Europe. We work in Moldova, and that's more job-oriented, but especially targeted towards young women who were coming out of the foster, the orphan, orphan system, really. And instead of being at risk for trafficking and teen pregnancy and the things that happen to a lot of those girls, they could come in and get a job, and they can make a decent living, and they could turn that into you know now I'm not just working in the warehouse, but I'm learning accounting, and so. I know i keep using the word opportunity nancy but that's what it is there's nothing magic necessarily about a pair of shoes or apparel but when people can use that to bring themselves up whether that's through education or a steady income amazing things can happen quickly and that's really kind of the business that we're in
0: it's so powerful and so incredibly uplifting to watch growth and supporting people to grow and help others grow, right? You're, you're teaching such a great skill of really business entrepreneurship and she's now teaching that to yeah. other women. It's pretty powerful. Let's shift a little bit to, that's a lot of your global work, which is phenomenal. Um, you're based in Nashville, Tennessee, so United States. Let's talk a little bit about what's been new and recent um, with some of the activity here in the United States.
1: Yeah, it's it's been a struggle in at least most of my time at Souls for Souls, Nancy. A lot of our new so anytime we give anything away for free, that's always new. So lots of our corporate donors are very active and proud to be in partnership with Souls for Souls, but it comes with restrictions. They'll say, hey, this product, we can't use it in the US. There are legal restrictions, there are commercial restrictions. And so often we've been very reactive and other outside of disasters when most companies will say, hey. The rules are relaxed. Go help the folks fire a flood, a hurricane, etc. Thank goodness for that. But we didn't really have a consistent way to show up in the U.S. And a lot of our donors, even though they believe in what we're doing with our microenterprise program, they want to know what's happening at home. So about two years ago now, we started trying to understand a little bit more around the kids in our public schools who experience homelessness. And at first we're like, I don't know, is that for us? Is that a shoe thing? It seems like food and shelter are the top priorities and they are. But what we learned is that pretty soon after that, shoes turn out to be very important. We we learn from students and parents and administrators that two kind of major things happen. First is that kids don't come to school because they don't feel like they belong. They don't have the right shoes. Their shoes don't fit, etc. So they just don't want to go. And the second piece is, if they do come, they're often targeted. Right? They're it's it's just one area where kids can sort of carve out another kid and bully, pick on, etc. And these kids are already like their the amount of instability in their lives is incredible, right? They don't know where they're going to sleep the next night necessarily. And that turns out to be a million and a half kids in the U.S. It's a lot of kids. It's a it's a shame that we should really work on this, right? So. And talking to our corporate partners and talking internally, we're like, that's a big problem, but it's solvable. It's about shoes, souls for souls. That's why we exist. We should work on this. So we launched last fall. We distributed about 30,000 pairs through the public school system last year. Our goal is 50 this year, 75, and then we're going to build up to the 1.5 million so that every kid who experiences homelessness in our school system is going to get a new pair of athletic shoes at least once a year that's our commitment so we have a lot of work to do these kids the the response so far emotionally is unbelievable like for many of them it's this is my first pair of new shoes ever first time i've gotten shoes that aren't from goodwill so there's they feel dignity and like they really belong but also their teachers and the administrators are saying the kids show up like 70 percent of the kids said this is one of their top needs and when they show up and then they finish high school, like all these incredible, but they need food, they need shelter. This is one more thing that will help them stay on track and at least finish high school. So we think that there is a really clear long-term benefit as well as making kids feel like they belong right now.
0: It's incredible. It's it's really wild to know that there's that much need in the United States. One and a half million students experiencing homelessness is, is really incredible. Um, you know, as as we think about all the work that's being done, moving product around uh, to help the entrepreneurs, to help here in the United States, you can't help but think, even though we're a nonprofit, we have to start thinking about all aspects of sustainability, right? So not just keeping product out of the landfill, not just the circle of extending product life. How are we thinking about sustainability within Souls for Souls and the outlook for the future—it's a hot topic. Everybody is is on the corporate side, on the community side, thinking about this. What's happening at souls for Soul?
1: Yeah, it's a great question, and it, you're so smart to put it in this bigger context. You know, big companies with lots of resources are trying to figure this out. It turns out shoes are one of the hardest items out there to recycle and reuse. So that has a lot, a lot to do with things way upstream of where we are in terms of how the product is designed what the materials are, how it's glued or stitched together, all that really matters. But there are some internal things that we're looking at. We're a small organization. We have 75 employees. I mean, we're working in lots of countries and we have lots of partners, but we're, you know, a pretty small footprint on our own. But we need to think about the same thing. We have a 300,000 square foot warehouse in central Alabama. What are we doing there? You know, we're using propane, for example, propane forklifts. That doesn't sound like very much. But then you think about how much propane we go through. We think about how bad that is for uh, emissions. Like we should own that. We can't just say, well, we're going to help people by keeping shoes out of landfills and we don't take care of our own house. So whether that's transportation between our warehouses or from our corporate partners to us or moving used shoes around, whether it's what we do in the warehouse, how we get product to our partners, we have to be much more conscious of that. One, because it's the right thing to do. But two, our partners are expecting it. So when we work with big brands who are making very public commitments around sustainability, they have to come to us and say, give me the numbers. Don't give me a story. (laughs) Okay, you can give me the story, but there better be some numbers behind it. And that's where we're going to have to really up our game. We know that we can play an important role there. The one thing that is an interesting challenge is particularly around footwear there it makes a lot of sense Nancy to invest upstream so in the manufacturing process how do you use less water chemicals different kinds of sources for power etc there's there's a pretty clear ROI in most cases for that there's not on the post-consumer side once it gets into your hands or your closet or on my feet there's not really a big incentive for any individual brand to to help solve that problem so we think that maybe souls for souls and other organizations can can be a place where hey what if we all agree to do X Maybe that's so we could be more sophisticated about how it gets reused in our micro program. It might be here's how we can create jobs and breaking this product down, and here's how the ultimate disposition that can be more sustainable than we had in the past. So there's a there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of smart people thinking about it, and Souls for Souls is yeah. going to play an interesting role in that. We hope.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's phenomenal, and you know I think it's a critical role because Souls for Souls is really central to. Both product, community, and environment, and so there's really a lot of opportunity for souls for souls to be integral in that conversation. I, you know, as you think about people that are watching this show today, what would you say to them? How can they participate and support the efforts? And then maybe a little inspiration.
1: <laughs> um, so. I- one of the things I love about Souls for Souls, Nancy, and half from the beginning is everybody can do this, right? Every, we all have stuff in our closets that we don't use. I mean, listen, I, this is what I do for a living, and I still look at my closet and go, "What? what's wrong with me? Like, why do I have all these shoes? So the first place is there is an immediate action that each of us can take. So if you go to the Souls for Souls website, type in, uh, in the, we collect shoes in the U.S., Canada primarily that's used shoes. We do a little bit in Singapore and some in Europe, much more new product there. Put in your postcode, it'll show you the closest place to drop it off. And if you can't, in the US, you can mail it in using Zappos. So there's an immediate action that we can all take. Whether you want to enlist then more folks in that effort, there are lots of ways to do that. We have a team of people who every day, that's what they help our volunteers and our donors do. But I would say the inspiration stories come from, I, I, I'll tell one story on the free side. I shared a great micro story that still motivates me, you know, seven years later now. We were distributing shoes through the For Every Kid program in Wisconsin through a partner that we've been working with for years. And we, we know they serve the same families for years as their kids grow up. It's called the Literacy Partners. It's in a rural part of Wisconsin. And this past year, or this past month, we were there and the kid came up with his mother and he needed size 15 shoes. So he comes up and his assumption is, and he says, like, I'm sure you don't have it. And not only we have one, we had two pairs, right? So he had a choice. He picked a pair of size 15 shoes. And the first thing he said to his mother is, now now can I try for the basketball team? So there's so much baked into what he just said. So he's been excluded, right, from something he really wants to do and probably an important part of the culture of his school so now he gets to participate in a whole new way. His mother was very, able, very clearly able to articulate the burden that this takes off of her. She said, we can't afford shoes for this basketball shoes for this kid. Right. And so as a parent, I know what that feels like to say, I I want my son to have something. And now he can't like, that's a heartbreaking moment. And so to know that that door is opening for and for him in this case, and Like that, I've been, like I said, I've been doing this for nine years. I still get a little weepy (laughs) thinking about how much that kid now feels like he can do. So whether it's creating an opportunity in Haiti or right here in Wisconsin, that's the stuff that motivates me every day. And as we get to share those stories with people who are collecting shoes or donating money to Souls for Souls, like that motivates me every day. And so I find inspiration in these little stories. You know, we have big impact numbers. We can talk about all that but these individual stories just make it so clear that this is one way that all of us can help make a difference.
0: Buddy, that's so incredibly powerful. I had chills in that story for sure. Thank you for your time today. Thank you for sharing the Souls for Souls story, their sustainability work, and most importantly, the work around poverty and really lifting people up all over the globe and here in the United States. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks, it was a real pleasure, thank you.